It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Phil Bliss, a business visionary, and welcome to Toronto's Podcast, part of the Canada's Podcast Network your source of great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. So Fawn, welcome. And for those that don't know, Fawn and I have known each other for a long time. Let's say it like that, Fawn. (laughs) Fawn, for everyone else, you know, tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself and what you do, you know, in that sort of, you know, two or three minute kind of capsule. Sure. Well, um, I guess the reason you think I'm an entrepreneur is because I have owned uh, multiple businesses. Yeah. And I've always basically been in the technology communication side of of the business. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, for the last 25 years, I've been running uh, Canada's number one publishing uh, media company Mm -hmm. for technology. Yeah. And approximately eight years ago, uh, we went through a digital transformation and became a digital media company from a more traditional publisher, and uh, then also launched into an advertising agency, a digital advertising agency for the technology sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, technology is everywhere, so it's not just IT, but it's anyone who is using uh, technology to enable the business. So. The question I ask right at the beginning usually is, do you think entrepreneurs are wired differently? Yes, they are. They're wired differently because most or many people are risk averse who are working for inside corporations. There's two terms. There's entrepreneurs and there are infopreneurs. And there are a lot of people who are amazingly creative working within corporations. Mm-hmm. The reason we call them infopreneurs is because they have a safety net around them. Right. And that safety net makes all the difference versus an entrepreneur that, you know, like an, a person who's um, an acrobat but has no net. That's kind of the difference. And mm-hmm. that's why they have to um, have a higher tolerance for risk in order to put themselves out and attempt to make something of nothing. So what made you decide to become an entrepreneur? I think basically my father was an entrepreneur and it was the way I was, I was grown. I I was brought up. Mm -hmm. So he never worked for a major corporation, even when he was working for Encyclopedia Britannica, which took him around the world. It was up to him and he didn't get paid unless he built his own direct sales organization. I think that's probably was my leaning. And I had, um, after graduating, some experience with working uh, with corporations, and I didn't like being told uh, how to do things, especially when I felt... I'm saying, uh, I'm saying nothing, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was me as a, young, as a young person, and which really led me into um, having my own business. The first business I created, I was 24 years old. And it was an animation studio. So oh, okay. I, I, straight, I went straight into opening my own businesses. Later on, I worked for large corporations, but it was mainly under contract. 
How did you get into your area of expertise, you know, publishing, digital, IT? Well, my degree, I, well, first of all, my degree was in uh, business and communications. Okay. So my intent was always uh, to be a communications specialist. What happened was that I met uh, one of your former partners early on. Yeah, okay. and I had uh, I had been approached after the animation studios where there was a lot of um, advertising agencies. So one person had uh, left the agency and had picked up a software package out of Florida, and it was a graphic art software package. And he had come to me and said, "Look, you're really really um, creative. I need you to help me launch a software package in mm-hmm. Canada." And I said, "I know nothing about technology." And he said, "But you know about marketing." Since that's yeah. all you need to know. So, you know, work with me. So I looked at it. I did research. I uh, found that uh, McLean Hunter at the time had the largest or used to have the largest graphic arts magazine mm-hmm. that was this thick at its height. And now it was this thick. Mm-hmm. So I went to the publisher and I said, look, I have an offer for you. It's called Desktop Publishing. I said, it's brand new. I said, nobody really knows about it. I said, but your core advertisers are getting into it, like CompuGraphic, Line and Type, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I said, I need somebody who's going to support me from a media perspective in order for us to launch what I think would work, and that would be a trade show. He said, are you interested? So we worked out a deal, and uh, he was very interested because he knew that he couldn't just keep going to the Heidelbergs of the world and keep that magazine going. So he uh, gave me huge support, and I launched the first desktop publishing um, event in Canada at what was a Triumph Hotel at Keelan 401. And what happened was there were so many people that came over from the Ministry of Transportation, they had to call the fire department. I remember that. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it was humongous, right? It was a huge success. And uh, then I was approached by one of your ex-partners saying, you know, there's this new thing coming out called Unix, and uh, you, should, you should get involved. And I was, I was going to England, and he introduced me to the CIO of Northern Telecom, who was the president of the Uniform Association in the UK. Mm-hmm. Took him out for lunch. It was the most expensive lunch I've ever had to this day in my entire life. And uh, But he introduced me to every important person in that sector of um, Unix operators. And when I came back to Canada, they had just formed Uniform Canada. So I signed them up to a 10-year deal and I launched into the trade show business. That's kind of how it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first six months, I remember, I'd go and I'd be selling the show. And I'd have to sit in front of these brilliant people with all these hundreds of acronyms. I had no idea what they were talking about, but I learned to nod my head and, and look yeah, intelligent. Yeah. And finally, I, I got, I started to understand what, the, what, what it yeah, was. Well, it's sort of what, what I call planned opportunity. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's how I got into it. Yeah. So, and how did, I, how did I get into publishing? At some point, I decided, you know, to try and sell the, the trade shows. And I went into business with a new partner who had just left a company called Sequent Computers. Mark Turner originally was with Sun Microsystems. And we felt there was a huge market for chief information officers. So we created a conference, a retreat called CIO Survival Camps. And we would charge the CIOs to come out 
to Quebec. Uh, we had a beautiful in Montebello, and uh, it was $4,000 per CIO. We got Sun to sponsor it with their partners. Mm-hmm. And we did this for three years, and then I got approached by I2O Canada, which was Laurentian Media at the time, because mm-hmm. they wanted to form an executive division. And they needed somebody who knew what they were doing. So they said, would you come on board for a one-year contract? And that's kind of how I got to what is now IT World Canada. Just moving away from a little bit, you know, we're both in Toronto or Greater Toronto, if you like. And you've been here pretty much yeah. most of your life. Why Toronto? What, what, what's the benefit of doing business in Toronto? Well, it's, first of all, it's the largest city. In Canada, it's got uh, more corporate offices. It's where the technology headquarters are. The majority of offices in Ottawa, as an example, are there specifically for the federal government, and that's it. So that would be the public sector team that that's in Ottawa. And we did a lot of events in Ottawa too, right across the country. But Toronto has the most opportunity for drumming up business. Just to sort of from your side, some of our best ideas come when we least expect them. Is there any, you know, how do you disconnect? How do you recharge? How do you get those ideas out? You've come up with some great ideas. I mean, as I said, it's not like we don't well, know. Usually that. they happen because of a circumstance. There's two different types of ideas. There's one that is um, you have a vision have a purpose and you're setting out to do that. And then by setting out to do that through the people you meet and, and the things you discover, you, you basically formulate, okay, here's an opportunity. Here's, you know, here, here's an idea that we can apply. And sometimes it's just circumstance. So I'll give you an example. I, I was with uh, IT World at that time and I had created my first master series around networking. And so my idea, because of the type of person I am, I'm a driver, I said, you know what? I'm going to call up the federal government. I'm going to ask them to send me an auditor because I think this material is so important. They should be auditing it for their people. So I did. And sure enough, they did send down an auditor from Treasury Board. And the audience at the time, almost half of the people coming in were CIOs from municipalities. So they heard this, this gentleman was down from Treasury Board, and they accosted, four of them accosted him in the hall, because the federal government had been, at that point, sitting down with the province to talk about how they could get e-government to move forward. And they accosted him because they weren't at the table. So they literally had him pinned to the wall, and I'm walking through to see where the coffee is. I see my guest pinned to the wall by these four CIOs, and I, I went in because it was an altercation. I went, whoa, you know, hold on, guys. So I set them down, asked them what the problem was, and they said, well, we're not at the table. They're doing all this and all those services they want to talk about. We're the ones who deliver it. So I looked at the gentleman from the Treasury Board. I said, well, is there any way that we could have the federal government sit down with municipalities? I could, I could be the person that arranges that, the facilitator. And they went, well, we, we couldn't do that without the provinces on board. So one of the CIOs was from the city of Toronto, and he turned around and he says, well, I happen to know the CIO for the province of Ontario, Fawn. I will get us a lunch. I said, great. So the gentleman from the Treasury Board said, well, if you can get Ontario and Quebec on board, he says, then I can move this forward. So I met with the CIO, and uh, it was a great meeting, and he basically 
looked at me as if I was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And he said, I'll tell you what, you bring me the CIO of Quebec, the CIO of BC, the CIO of Alberta, and you've got Ontario. So what did I do? Called up the CIO of Quebec. And I said, by the way, we're doing this with the federal government, and I have the CIO of Ontario. You should be there. And of course, he went on, then BC went on, then Alberta went on, then Manitoba went on, went right across the country. And that's how we launched uh, the Lap Carling series, which did tremendous stuff for our country. Yeah. And it really did move the government file forward. What, what are you most excited about in business today? I mean, you've lived through such change yeah. in, 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 in the way you... Well, I think that what I'm very excited about is that we are moving from the information age where you and I grew up in, you know, from mm -hmm. a business perspective, mm -hmm. to the experience age. And that is, a, that is completely different. The models change. Everyone's going to be disrupted. I mean, we were disrupted early because we're a publisher. Every business, big and small, is about to go through what I went through for the last eight years. And, and it's very exciting because you've got so many uh, forces coming together at the same time, you know, from AI, artificial intelligence, to the Internet of Things, you know, uh, 5G to, to fuel all of this growth and really allow us to get to a new level of how society is going to work. So, you know, we're working in this microcosm called a business, but it's all being impacted societally by all these different forces, and we're helping to shape and influence those things, and that's really what I'm excited about at, at this point in my career. So where's, where's publishing going to be in the next five years? I, I think that um, it's not going to be how we viewed publishing in the past. You know, it really is, publishing is about bringing that information uh, to life. You know, it's, it's really about how, how does the reader or the person that's consuming the information, how do they experience it? And I, think, I think it's about the experience as well. I think, you know, people, people can get the data. It's, it's what's, what's around it that really... Exactly. And, and that, I think, is the next level. So, I mean, is there anything just now that you get really annoyed at that's, you know, out of term, is it a fad just now that you think people should just leave the heck alone? I think that, um, you know, there are um, financial nuances that really bother me, especially as a woman, you know, as a woman entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I have far less um, opportunity than um, my counterparts who are males. Um, even though I own this company and even though I've had, I've been very lucky to be able to finance it, but that's because it has a long longevity, right? right. It's been yeah. around long enough for the banks are feel secure and the receivables are high enough to do that. Yeah. If I was starting out, it would be a whole different situation. So it annoys me that we haven't made much progress, you know, on the diversity inclusion agenda for business, uh, especially female entrepreneurs. Like when you look at equity funding, they receive less than 2%. No, that's just not right. When 50% of the ideas are coming from women and, and, and they're just overlooked because of their gender, that's, that's wrong. What are the top three things on your bucket list? Well, um, one of the things is to be able to pass the reins to someone else mm -hmm. so that I can do uh, more traveling. Because I look at your lifestyle, I'm really jealous. 
<laughs> Don't tell everybody that. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still, you know, very operational. I think that's that's the big thing because once I can hand over the reins and, and really just be a, a CEO rather than an operational president, I can do all the things that, that I want to do at this stage. You know, you face a few challenges. I mean, uh, you know, I've known and talked to you about some of them. What's the greatest challenge you faced in, in the business today? Well, the greatest challenge that we faced was that um, our product was no longer um, viewed as being valuable. And that was the greatest challenge I faced. That was, uh, we had a whole business around print, around printed magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was our, our disruption, was that we had to then recognize, okay, what what had changed because there was magazines still being printed that were of value in different parts of the world. The U.S., because of its volume, although the magazine wasn't where it was financially, like from a revenue-driven point of view, uh, it still was sought after. Uh, Because Canada is so small and our market is so small, really, we have to understand that the people we sell to are mainly sales um, driven versus brand driven. So when you're sales driven, it's all about return on investment and proving it. So it's hard to prove what the a, a printed magazine is doing from a metric driven point of view versus a digital point of view. So that was the first thing we had to change. And then we also had to understand that we, our model was we pushed out information. Mm-hmm. That was a model for many decades and now all of a sudden that was not the model anymore so what we had to do was examine what is valuable like what is a valuable asset and we finally realized that the most valuable asset is the customer so you know we had to uh, we, we had to rethink and redo everything so that the emphasis was on the customer and not on what we thought our product or service you know was if you knew now what you knew then, you know, what would you recommend to people starting up in business? Because you've got a great right. track record, you know. Yeah. Can you pass on two or three gems? I would say that the first thing you have to do is really understand the true value of your organization. And in order to do that, you need to pose three questions. You know, number one, what are you passionate about? Number two, what can you beat the world at? And number three, what are the metrics that are going to drive your economic engine? So if you can, you know, really figure out those three questions, then you're off to a great start. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? The best piece of advice that I ever received? That's a hard question because nobody ever said, just go where your heart is fond or, you know, just follow what, what you're passionate about. Except when I, of course, when I went to university, that was a bit different because you're taking what you're passionate about. Well, it's the sort of thing, I mean, I remember one of, one of my early mentors, I used to be a t- terribly sloppy worker, you know, and said, you know, tidy desk, tidy mind. Uh, and then he, he qualified it by, and if it's not tidy, I'm going to kick you out. Yeah, but, it, but it really fine. taught me organization and, uh, and that kind of thing. Right. So then very simply, the best advice I ever got was do it now. 
Yeah. So, you know, don't procrastinate because the easiest thing to do is procrastinate on the stuff you don't like to do. So we're going to go to some rapid fire questions. Okay. okay. So don't think, don't think too much about them. Just okay. go for it. If you weren't doing what you were doing now, what would you be doing instead? I would be teaching. I could see that. What books, what book are you currently reading? And, and you know, is there a couple of books that you would recommend that, that really kind of had an impact on you? Well, let me show you something. Okay. <laughs> this is a book we just finished writing. Oh, I know that. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. So, you know, I would, I would highly recommend. Highly right there. <laughs> 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 and, and, and I mean, in terms of in terms of reading, anything that really kind of uh, influenced the way you operate. Oh, I think that Tom Collins um, has has really influenced uh, the way I operate. Um, Michael Copeland is, has been amazing, and a lot of the uh, pieces from those books actually became part of our strategy. Yeah, uh, you know, within our transformation. But there's a, you know there's a lot of great authors. Unfortunately, you know, in this uh, this last month. I haven't read because I've been heads down on uh, PNL and putting the budget. I, I know that. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I would say that I mainly read business books. Um, I really haven't read any fiction in a few years. I haven't had okay. time. Are you, are you a morning or a night person? I'm definitely a morning person. I'm a morning person. When I was young, I used to be a night person. When do you kick into gear in the morning? Uh, around 5.30. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, maybe two, okay, what would it be and why? A driver. Anything keeping you up at night? Everything keeps me up at night. At first I thought it was because I thought too much, and then suddenly I realized, you know, part of it is my age too, it's keeping me up at night. But um, I think that you get these ideas and they come at a strange time. I don't know about you, but I, I always have something by my bedside. If some thought comes in and I'm up. Yep. Now. Yep. Uh, I don't use the mobile because I don't want to wake up my husband. <laughs> the light comes on. <laughs> if something goes wrong. But what keeps you up at night? It just depends on what's going on in the business. If there's you know operational issues, it's keeping me up at night. If there's something we're trying to figure out strategically, it's keeping me up at night. But I try to shut it down. What's your most favorite place in the world? Believe it or not, um, one of my most uh, favorite places in the world is um, England. I like. I love. I love the UK. Mm. I've got great memories there. I'm going back there. You know, next week. And it's not just England. I mean, Scotland's gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, um, I, I just love being in a country where you can have, you know, millions of people around you at the same time. You could have the, the beautiful hills of Wales and, you know, the fantastic scenery. And it's very important to me to uh, get to the ocean. You haven't listened to this question I ask everyone. There's a small tropical island in the middle of the ocean with only one phone booth, remember a phone booth, and no internet. We drop you off there with no technology at all. At any time, you can pick up the phone in the phone booth and call the boat to come back and pick you up. How long would you last before making that call? Oh, I would say probably about two hours. 
<laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. That's about it, Fawn. I mean, it's been great seeing you, uh, you know, as it always is. And, and, and thank you for coming on the Canada's podcast. Oh, thank I think, you. Uh, I think your experience. Uh, where can our listeners find you online in case they might want to follow up? Well, LinkedIn, it's strictly at Fawn Annan. Uh, people have problems with my name, so it's like a baby deer, F-A-W-N, last name A-N-N-A-N. I know lots of people just don't know how to uh, pronounce that. But also, uh, they can go to our websites, any one of our websites, whether it's itwellcanada.com or itbusiness.ca, and find us there. Thanks again, and uh, you know, hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you. It was great, Phil. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com, where you can listen, discover, and engage. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'll see you next time.